nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. Woo! This is episode 105. <laughs> One shit about who I am, but who, who I have on the line are Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. The Bucks just won the NBA championship. Fellas, how are we feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, <laughs> gonna be. You know, I think it's kind of rough of the NBA to have this on a Tuesday night, but it's all good. I can't. I cannot believe I lived long enough to see the Milwaukee Bucks win a title. There's so much to talk about. Yeah, but yes, generally, I'm doing pretty good tonight. I am still both speechless, um, celebrating, and just it, it, the Milwaukee Bucks won a goddamn title. Like th- that's the weirdest part. It's like they won the title fifty years in the making, and they did it. Like they closed out Bucks in six. They won in six. Like I, I don't know what part of this is still blowing my mind the most. Is it the winning the title? Is it winning the title in Milwaukee, or is it winning the title in six games? I'm still trying to decide. And, and for those who didn't catch at the front end, that's Adam R. Paris, uh, site co-managing editor. Adam, how are you feeling tonight? Uh, honestly, it doesn't feel real. I, I, I don't know if anyone else thinks that too. Literally, I, I saw the graphics. I see the hats. It still does not even feel real. It's probably going to take a little bit to settle in. But I, I mean, if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, t- literally 50 freaking years since they won the last championship the city of milwaukee I, I was not very close to milwaukee i grew up near madison so i had like a different relationship to milwaukee but for you two you grew up closer to milwaukee this is really meaningful i i mean kyle you were close by the city hasn't had a championship in in so long what does this mean to you i always have said the milwaukee bucks have been the team I've cared about the most more than any team in the history of sports, you know, how some people care about the Packers or the Brewers or whatever their respective team. That was me with the Milwaukee Bucks. And for so long, I would watch this team just be God awful and go to the Bradley center and watch God awful basketball and people. And if I went outside the Milwaukee area, I would say, Oh, I love the Mil- I love the Bucks. And they'd be like, Oh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's like, no, <laughs> the goddamn Milwaukee Bucks. We are. How do you not know this team? And you're in Wisconsin, and just constantly going to Kohl's and buying like just different merch, and then leaving, and I can't find it. Like I remember, I went to Eau Claire for college. There was not a single thing of Bucks clothing in Kohl's. I had to go to Shields, and all they had was like one basic T-shirt and a hat. So then, like, just the fact that like I've just been caring about this team, and I've said this, I probably put. 20 something years of financial and emotional god i don't even want to know how much emotional investment i put in this team (laughs) and i've 
followed this team everywhere I've gone. I've tried to keep up with the Milwaukee Bucks, whether it was at Eau Claire, whether it was in Australia, whether it was in St. Paul, whether I once I moved to Madison, it's been the team I've always cared about. I've always said I will take a Milwaukee Bucks championship at the expense of any other team that I care for because I, I just want one. I just want to at least be able to witness one in my lifetime. And I'm glad it happened while I'm relatively young. So now it's like, okay, maybe get another one in like 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. but they got it. And it's just, it's just surreal that seeing all these other teams win championships and me thinking, I want to experience that. I want to see it. And I mean, like I said, when the Packers won the Super Bowl twice in my lifetime, that was, it, it was awesome. It was great. Like that was still a fantastic feeling. When Liverpool won the Premier League Champions League, that's a fantastic feeling. But nothing will ever compare to how I'm feeling right now seeing the Milwaukee Bucks win a championship. I feel a lot of the same way. The thing about the Bucks winning a title is the Bucks have been the black sheep in this state for forever, for as long as I can remember. I came to the fandom pretty late, but even before that, like you never heard of them. Like Kyle said, you could not buy the gear anywhere. It did not matter where you went unless you were at the Bradley Center. There was no buying gear. Um, And and on top of that, Milwaukee itself, you know, it's been in in a lot of ways, it's been the black sheep of the state too. There's a lot of disrespect that the city gets. Uh, There's a lot of disdain that the city has or that people have for the city. And, you know, as much as I appreciate the Brewers that they have Milwaukee in the front, you know, the arena is still, you know, somewhat outside of downtown itself. I think there's definitely a a totally different uh, representation of who the Brewers are versus who the Bucks. The Bucks are authentically Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, that was represented by the Deer District. That was represented by the turnout. That's represented by the work the players have done with the community when they go out there and they have jerseys on the front that say Milwaukee, that's true. That's right to the heart, man. And to <laughs> to see the Bucks go out there in in a sport that's stacked against the small markets. I mean, the one one of the league, it's just it's egregious. It's such an uphill climb. And we did it. You know, it's at Milwaukee, Wisconsin, of all cities in this country, on this continent, are title holders. And that it's just it's so meaningful for me. It's meaningful for the city. Like I said, for all the fans who have been here from the very beginning, anybody who jumped on in the intervening 50 years, I mean, that's a lot of heartbreak. That's a lot of games you're watching, a lot of losses you're watching. Teams that did well, they just couldn't get over the hump. I mean, you know, it's just another cursed Wisconsin sports team, and they bucked the trend tonight, and uh, it's just special. It's an incredible moment. We'll, we'll, I, I promise you, we will get to breaking down the game and the series. But uh, I think oh, in yeah, general, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think in general, like it, it, it's very hard as fans to not let the emotions flow over. I, I, I certainly came to the fandom a little later. I growing up near Madison, I have to say, I, I was more of like a Packers and Badgers fan. And the the best part is for all the people who jumped on the bucks and are excited about this run, this the, the, like this is the best part about having a local sports team win is that no matter how you came to the team, I, I had a buddy I was talking to who was like, I jumped on, I've never talked to this guy about basketball my entire life. And he's like, I started watching the Hawks series. I got a 32 ouncer ready in my hand to finish off by the, like I got several of them ready to finish off by the time this game is done. By the end, he's texting me, I was watching Giannis highlights from his rookie season. Like that is the beauty of sports is that anyone can jump in at any time. And 
there, there's there's no gatekeeping here. The Milwaukee Bucks are not a team that's worth gatekeeping over. Mm-hmm. They're a team that is worth everyone jumping on, and we saw it in the Deer District tonight. If you're someone who 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 just started following the Bucks and you were able to celebrate this, kudos on you. If you're someone who is in college and are reading Brew Hoop, are, we're we're reading basketball, we're reading behind the Buck Pass, any of these blogs. This is awesome for you. You have spent, you feel like you've invested so much time in this team, mm-hmm. thinking about them, considering them, hoping this would finally happen. And then for it to finally, this team to finally deliver after years and years and years of heartbreak, no matter how much heartbreak you've gone through. Some of us have gone through more, some have gone through less. But in the end, all that matters is that the Milwaukee Bucks are champions. And I, it is it is sweeter than a lot of other championships for other teams. And I I don't want to hear differently. Eventually, hopefully tonight, I can still write something about this, but it is sweeter because Giannis and Chris have been here for eight years. And I think it's high time we talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, Kyle, I mean, can you imagine a better scenario wherein your star player closes out a series? 50 fucking points Mm -hmm. that man went in to clinch a game to clinch a title the biggest game of his life and scored 50 points he made free throws he only missed one like (laughs) what this guy did was absolutely insane and that third quarter after the second quarter where Milwaukee could not make a basket Giannis was the only one that was able to hit field goals and then he goes in the third quarter and just says, you know what? I'm going to – he's turned into Thanos and said, I'm going to do this myself. And he did, and he made sure at the very least I am not going to be the reason why if we lose this game, I'm not – it's not my fault. Like I'm not taking the blame. That's not on me. And he goes in and just continuously attacks the rim, and then he continuously makes all those free throws, which – Riley, I know you tweeted before, don't chant MVP, and I think that was the key. I, I I honestly think that was the difference. So the fact that he does that, and then on the defensive side, he just was blocking things left and right, and some of them were goaltends, and some of them weren't goaltends. And it, he was just an absolute monster on the defensive side. Like, this game, I, I don't want to hear any honest slander from any bums out there. No, you, can't, you can't watch what he just did and – say that this guy has no bag this guy isn't legit this guy all he does is run and dunk no that that shit ends tonight he went out there and put on probably put one of the best finals performances ever not just in not just like tonight not just like the series ever and his performance throughout the six games in nba finals honestly it is if not the best i've seen it's definitely two or three. Like he put in such a legendary performance and I'm so happy that he did that because there are so many questions about what this guy can be. And we didn't know what it was going to be when he got drafted. We didn't know what was going to happen in the last few years. And then there's all this talk and he goes out there and says, F all of you. I am now the best. I'm, I'm the King. This is my league. This is my NBA and you're all going to have to acknowledge it and respect it. He dug deep in ways that you can only pray 
the best players and really only the best players could hope to dig deep. There's a lot of guys out there who will put it all on the line. You know, think of, we even have them on the team. You think of a PJ Tucker, you think of a Bobby Portis. These are guys who put out there and they, they give every ounce they have. And Giannis did that. But the difference is he's a transcendent player that like Kyle said, he did everything up both ends of the floor. Intelligent play, except for that one travel. Uh, intelligent play throughout the <laughs> entire uh, final game. It, it did not matter how busted the play was. It didn't matter how far a position he was. He was not going to let Phoenix get an easy, uncontested basket. He had, I don't know, like two or three goal tens or something, or close to goal tens. He like injured his back going up to try and stop Booker from getting a breakaway layup. He sacrificed in a huge way. And the mo- the scariest part is, you know, he probably could even score it even more. He looked like he was on such another level against Phoenix. They had no answer for him every single time. Like you said, Kyle, third quarter, masterful. He was the only guy scoring in the second quarter. Third quarter, he comes out. Does not matter how many defenders they throw at him. He is going through and he is going to score. And it it's just... You know, it, again, it, what a magical story this guy has. This is the reason why he's getting a, a freaking uh, movie made after his life. Uh, you know, it's going to take probably a couple of days for me able to go back and look at all the stats and fully appreciate it. But this has to be one of the greatest all-time finals performances ever. Uh, his series, his performance, not to get, not even like to mention the fact that his knee bent backwards like a week and a half ago. And he comes out here and he sacrifices. He sacrificed. He put himself in a position where he could have been in some danger. You know, who knows if his body is ready. And that I remember the very first play of game one, he goes right up for an alley-oop immediately. That's when I knew we, you know, we were going to be locked in. And at the end of the day, who who wins titles in the NBA? The best player. Who was the best player for either team? Giannis Antetokounmpo, by far. By a significant margin, he was the best player for either team. You, it is. It, you can't overstate the fact. Giannis won the Milwaukee Bucks the NBA championship yes. in Game yep. Six. Yep. The Bucks scored. I don't think we've said this yet. The final score: one hundred five to ninety-eight. Oh yeah, there's a final score. <laughs> the Bucks scored one hundred five points. Giannis scored fifty of their one hundred five mm-hmm. points. This was. This was definitely. I. I th- this was not a well-played offensive game on either side. T- teams were not making shots. Teams were turning the ball over. This was an ugly... The, from the start, this felt like a game seven, right? There were jitters. There were lots of lots of issues on either side. And what Giannis did in the second and third quarter... I, I, I mean, there was a point through... Most of the way through the third quarter, obviously he had the 20 points. But I'm pretty sure the stat was like, Giannis has... 20 points or something since the start of the third quarter. And his teammates were like two of 19 mm-hmm. scoring almost nothing. Giannis carried this team to the finish line and continued to make buckets all the way down late. He went 17 of 19 from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Kyle, he went 17 of 19 <laughs> from the free throw line. And this is all people have talked about the entire playoffs. And then he does this. In the closeout game? Are you kidding me? Maybe he was just tricking us all along with his free throw struggles and went was like, you know what? Let me show you guys how I can actually do this. I just the, the, the longest con of all time. <laughs> Literally years of being an awful free throw shooter. <laughs> 
let me con you all for five years of this, and I'm just going to surprise you all and shoot free throws in the biggest game. Maybe Giannis had that in him, or maybe he just has that much ice in his veins. I don't know, but my God. like It was one of those where it's like he hit the first two. I was like, cool, he hit the first two. That's nice. And then he kept hitting it. I was like, oh. And I didn't want to say anything. Like we were like every time there's a TV break, we would go in the chat, and I was so tempted multiple times to be like, "Guys, Giannis is hitting his free throws." I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to jinx it, and I'm glad I did it. But when, it, it, when Mike Green con. started talking about how he was hitting all his free throws, I knew just hit the second one. Just hit the second one after you try and screw him, Mike Breen, with your announcer jinx. And then I felt okay. I will say Mike Breen was pretty good at saying a lot of the calls that went against the Bucks were BS calls. So it was, it was nice with that. Shout out to Mike Breen. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I, I didn't think the Bucks got a favorable whistle, but that's not that's not necessarily worth bringing up in a game where we win the win That's the fair. I, I was just laughing because I'll stop. Never mind. I'll stop. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's not time to be petty yet. Not only at the free throw line, but so <laughs> – it, it, so like this is the perfect gown escape because literally every shot type that he's ever tried in his NBA career, it got busted out in this game. You wanted a ill-advised three-pointers, you got ill-advised three-pointers. So one of them went in by magic. You want turnaround jumpers, you got turnaround jumpers. You want him just powering through dudes, you got that. You got put back, you want putbacks, you got putbacks. He was in such a zone in that fourth quarter. I, I want to say it was like six-ish minutes left. He hits a turnaround jumper over, I want to say Bridges was covering or whatever. I mean, that just felt special. That's when you're like, this guy is on such a zone right now. And you just, you need to just get him the ball and get out of the way. Or do an action, get him moving downhill and get out of the way. And to to his credit, to his teammates as well, they did a good job, you know, touch and go but for the most part they did a good job putting him into good position identifying okay he's just broke free he's got a mismatch whatever it is to get him the ball and just get out of the way uh so it does take two to tango one of them's just kind of limping around while the other one does most of the tangoing but that's fine enough that guy's the title so who cares but it was just it was amazing the the kind of uh the heights that he reaches when he's really on. And I think that's been throughout this playoffs. That's been one of the biggest differences is he's playing smarter, but so his shot selection, his shot repertoire feels so further expanded than it was even a year ago where he gets shunted off from the paint. Okay, fine. I'm just going to do a turnaround J on the baseline. You know, I don't know about the three pointers still, but yeah, I can go to that if you hey, like. He made really, one. <laughs> he made one. If you really, if you really fall back off me, I'll go for it. So I, I just think it was a crowning achievement. It was really everything, a culmination of everything that he has worked on up until this point in his career coming together at the exact right time. He hit some incredible shots, but it, it wasn't just. I mean, so tonight he has two assists. So he, so. But several of them were huge. The one, the pass where he got triple teamed, threw it to Holiday in the in the right corner, in the left corner, where Holiday finally hit one of his four shots he hit tonight on four of nineteen. That was huge. But but it's just it's not just the new repertoire of shots because some of those some of them didn't fall the series. It it's the the patience is incredibly. It's just a huge step up from what we've seen in the past tonight. DeAndre Ayton, you know, he's the guy who's supposed to be able to stop Giannis. He plays 36 minutes. But in reality, like, Giannis was targeting him almost every time he could. And 
Kyle, throughout the night, we've we've seen Giannis in the series try to get the ball at the elbow, try to get the ball baseline, try to find other places. But tonight, even from the top of the key, his old spot, he, he wasn't willing to relent. He went right to the basket and was, was able to beat guys. There was a play where he got the ball, and I think it was a miscommunication by Phoenix, where all of a sudden DeAndre is standing in the paint and Giannis is completely uncovered at the top of the like key and he's like oh let me just barge right in and he just goes at it and then there's a like i think the next play ayton picks it up like he gets the ball ayton comes out to him he does a shot fake he dribbles spins past him gets a left like Giannis was in a zone and i and that was in the first half in the second half it was kind of a i'm gonna keep doing this because it's working no one can stop me no one's gonna slow me down and if they do they're gonna follow me and then i'm gonna go to line it was the relentlessness of his attacking that got Phoenix in foul trouble, really gave Aiden a tough night. Jay Crowder was getting racking up fouls. Like no one, no one could stop him. He was completely unstoppable. And not only was he unstoppable, but he was unstoppable in the most controlled manner that we have seen. How many times do we have we said it? Last year, he probably would have barreled into those guys and picked up a charge. He did not get one offensive foul tonight. That is amazing growth from him. Mm-hmm. The fact that he is now able to just, he can still do his barreling in charge at the rim, but be smarter, whether he gets the ball away, whether he stops, whether just more control of his body. And the fact that he just was able to not pick up the offensive foul, not make a bad turnover. It's so shocking. The growth that he has shown just in the last year. Because, like I said, in the Miami series, he was picking up charges and he was unable to do it. And it's like, it seems like something clicked. I don't know what it was, but something has clicked where he realizes, okay, they're going to throw this wall. They're going to do this. I need to make the right play. Or I just need to be smarter about the moves. He's not doing the spin move as constantly as he did before. It, it is quite impressive how he was able to just continuously attack and didn't get one offensive foul, in my opinion. I'm like at a loss for words or what else to say about Giannis. You know, his greatness is at such a level that it becomes almost routine. And the danger is accepting it as routine. It's not routine what he's doing out there. There's nobody else in this entire league who could even hope to do what he's able to do on both ends. He is the captain on both ends. He anchors the defense. He is the guy who helps prevent fast breaks from turning into anything. He guts things out. And then on the other end, he is the sun through which everything else revolves around. Every action runs off of him. If we need a tough basket, it goes to him. If we need somebody to clean things up, he's the one who does it. He is a true blue franchise superstar in every facet of the game. And it's, I can't, you know, there's nobody else on his level right now. There's nobody in the league that's on his level. On both ends of the floor, what he can do, there's nobody else. I was gonna I was gonna say that, Riley. I think it's worth talking about his defense for a while. I mean, he had five blocks tonight, but it's it's not just the five blocks. Uh the discipline. The discipline he shows up there. It's the incredible. number of time the so going to a switching offense, it had its tough moments early on in the season. We talked about it ad nauseum. Miscommunications, Giannis sometimes he overhelps, he gets caught ball watching, things like that. But as this series went on and tonight especially, he gets switched onto it like to close the third and fourth quarters, it was the him and Drew show in terms of shutting down Booker and Chris Paul. You do the switch, Giannis is there. He is not going to bite for any of your ball fakes, any of your pump fakes, anything like that. He's going to stay in front of you and he is going to contest. Now, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are still excellent garbage shot makers over the top of that, but he 
was a huge part in funneling those two. They were the only show that Phoenix had for the third and fourth quarter. They tried it in the first half to like move it around a little bit, have other guys involved. Third and fourth quarter, Milwaukee was excellent at funneling the ball just to those two guys. And why is that? Because Giannis is there who unlocks, along with Drew and a lot of the other personnel, unlocks the switching defense, and it stayed true. We worked on it all season long, and at the biggest stage, it worked. It worked because of Giannis and Drew and PJ and everybody else who stepped up. The the defensive discipline by him is incredible. I mean, two personal fouls, given he's essentially guarding perimeter players for the, for the majority of the night, and, and not to mention the fact that he made several hustle plays running back and, and making blocks that several of which might have been goal tones, but like whatever. Mm. And like, <laughs> it's, fine. It's, fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Because one, like some of those calls haven't necessarily gone away, but like those were incredible plays by him and his ability. The, I, I, I feel like some of the, some of the analysis before this game was like, okay, the bucks, the, the sun should get Giannis directly in actions and try to attack him off the dribble. Well, it worked occasionally, but the fact that a guy who is like seven foot can hold up against guys like Booker, guys like Paul, it, 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 the versatility of this guy defensively, Kyle, w- was on showcase this whole playoffs thanks to the switching defense being implemented from the warts we watched all year paid off in the, in the playoffs. All of the adjustments we asked Mike Boonholz to make, he made the adjustments, and the biggest one was switching and don't commit to the zone drop. He didn't play Brooke Lopez at the end. He went with Bobby Portis. Risky, but it worked. He got, like, John Horst getting P.J. Tucker allowed this team to do what they needed to do. And I think the funniest thing is, every like, the zone drop, the biggest thing is you don't want to allow shots at the rim and corner threes. And they decided to go switching, and they still limited shots at the rim corner threes and three-pointers in general they force chris paul and devin booker to take all those mid-range shots and to their credit they were making those mid-range shots for most of the series like it is Mm -hmm. ridiculously impressive if not annoying but they the defensive adjustment and having and i mean it could have been better if chris paul was on drew but if chris paul wasn't on drew he was on devin booker and I think that just allowed this team to let Giannis just roam around and do whatever the hell he wants. And that resulted in the five blocks. Like I said, some of them are goaltends, and one of them was a legit goaltending call. I'm not going to get too mad about that. But it was like even Bobby Portis was staying in front of dude. Bobby Portis was making plays. Pat Connaughton had a lot of flybys, but that was actually good because when he flew by, it made them take a step in, take a mid-range shot. Chris Middleton, I, I think the fact that we didn't have to hear a lot of McCall Bridges for three, that's a testament to what Chris Middleton was doing. It, it, everyone that came in between the starting five and Pat Connaughton, they all did the job that they needed to. They stopped overhelping. They forced Phoenix to continue shooting those mid-range. And that is a product of all the switching and trying things out. And as much as we hated it during the regular season, we were so mad at how bad it looked at times, but this is why you experiment in regular season because when you get to moments like this, it works. And this is what the work that you put in all season shows. This was, this title was the definition of a whole team effort. 
So it starts, so the Bucks last year, they flame out in the most embarrassing way possible in the bubble. We come back, we say, we have to do something different. John Horst goes out, he gets Drew Holiday. He trades the whole bank for Drew Holiday. He goes out, he's able to sign Bobby Portis off whatever, you know, on essentially a minimum deal. He goes out mid-season, gets P.J. Tucker. So he gets, he assembles the pieces. He says, okay, we're not going to run it back. We're going to assemble the pieces. Mike Budenholzer. Oh my God, can you be frustrating sometimes, my man? But, 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 he went against everything ingrained in him as a coach. And he switched it up. He said, we're going to experiment with it. It's not going to be the prettiest thing ever. Uh, it's not going to work perfectly from the get-go. They had no training camp in which to put together the switching defense. They essentially put together what we saw in this finals. They slapped that shit together throughout the entire regular season and just like, hopefully it'll work. And when it mattered most, they got contributions from people they added. P.J. Tucker, huge. Bobby Portis, <laughs> I doubted you all season, my man. I'm going to shut the fuck up. That was amazing from you tonight. Amazing. So you get contributions from everybody they add. And then the, the changes that Boonholzer makes, his rotations were crisp. He got guys rest when they need them. Perfect, perfect timeouts all series long. If there was any sort of momentum, that's where we, that's where coach Boonholzer was running circles around Monty. He, his timeouts were crazy on point. So it's just a team effort from top to bottom, from the executive suite, work your way all the way down. It took everybody to put this team together to be the potent you know, team that it is on both ends. There's a lot of other things that we're going to talk about. This is going to be a long podcast. I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for my fellow hosts who want to go to sleep, but Let's talk about Coach Bud for just a little bit, because like you said, Riley, I thought his timeouts were impeccable tonight. I mean, like Monty calls a timeout last game, like after one of Giannis's free throws as like an attempt to freeze him out. It's like, dude, dude can't make a free throw to save his life. Like it doesn't really matter. The the, the Suns, I think, make it like 98-92 late in the fourth. They hit one basket Mm -hmm. immediately. There's like three minutes left, but it's like, okay, timeout. He, yep. he was doing incredible stuff with his timeouts. Jeff Teague played two minutes. He was like, hell no. All of the people who are criticizing him for playing Jeff Teague, I get it. But, like, there's there's not a whole lot of other ball handlers who can get out there. Like, P.J. Tucker played 36 minutes tonight. He scored zero points. Like, that, that is one of your players who is playing 36 minutes is scoring zero points. There's just not a lot of ammunition for you when you're this low. And honestly, Kyle, you have been, you backed Bobby Portis from the beginning. I I have been a skeptic for a while. Mm -hmm. I was really skeptical, even in this series, but like. Me too, me too. I need to also step up. Him playing 23 minutes tonight and Bud being like, Brooke doesn't have it tonight in terms of like the zone drop is not necessarily working. Chris Paul is getting into too much of a rhythm. I mean, that's. It's, it's an incredible adjustment given where we were at the latter stages of the Nets series, right? I did not expect them to be closing out a game clinch NBA Finals game. Like, I was high on Bobby Portis, but I was not this high. <laughs> I was not expecting them to be closing out the game. Like, as, as he was still in, I was like, oh, Brooks is not going to go in. And I thought, okay, they'll go with Giannis at the five. And then it was like, they're not doing that. Like, they are doing that, but they're not doing that. I, was, I don't know. Bobby Portis might be the best free agent signing the Milwaukee Bucks have made ever. I honestly in don't the, know. In I, the I modern era, who, probably. Yeah. Definitely in the modern since, era. 
Yeah. I can't think of anyone that has come in and has worked so hard and fit the role that the Bucks needed so well. I, I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Like when he came in, I was like, all right, he's going to be a spark plug off the bench. And he was an offensive spark plug off the bench in this series, in the Atlanta series. Brooklyn, you know, was like, you know what? This, this, he, the fact that he didn't play, he just suddenly stopped playing in Brooklyn and then comes in and it's like a breaking case of emergency, Bobby Portis, and he was ready. It's a testament to who he is as a player, but he, what he brought to Milwaukee is what they've needed so badly. Just a guy that can get off the bench and get a bucket. And he's, and like I said, the fact that he held his own on defense, which was always our biggest concern. We weren't sure if this guy was going to be able to do anything on defense. Like, we knew the zone drop was going to be a mess. Switching was the only thing that would work. And even then, he would probably get roasted. And yet, he comes in, and he is getting blocks. He is contesting shots. He is doing everything he needs to. And it is honestly impressive what he has done for this team this season. And I'm curious to see if he's going to just decide, you know what, I'm going to take that option. I'm going to stay for one more year because like I am in the perfect role in the perfect situation, or if he's going to opt out and get a lot of money that he absolutely deserves. Could you have imagined we had everything that you expect from a Bobby Portis game. All right. He subs in. There's a blown defensive assignment almost immediately that gives up an easy Aiden basket, like not contested <laughs> whatsoever because Bobby doesn't know who he's covering. After that, he goes, he starts making tough jumpers from everywhere. He's the only role player because Pat Thompson was off tonight. Only role player making threes, and he's he's actually taking the threes. He gets, gets in a tussle with Chris Paul and like gets to like laugh in Chris Paul's face. He gets called for a technical for skipping all the way down the court for getting called for, let's be honest, a totally bullshit foul. There was no no way that was a foul. So I, I commend Bobby. He gets called for a technical. And then, like you said, Kyle, the defense. He puts it together in the biggest way. He also, he went to the Yana school of nobody's getting an easy basket on us. Like Jay Crowder sort of gets past me. I'm going, I'm laying some wood. He is not getting it. He is not getting an uncontested basket here. You're going to earn it at the free throw line. Just the peak Bobby Portis game. I don't know what he's going to do either, but peak Bobby Portis, and it was perfect, perfectly timed. Your sort of underrated part of his game was he didn't. I don't know if he let a player get an end one. Like he he mm-hmm. he absolutely was not letting someone get it, which is a huge part of of defense. And his ability to switch in this game was insane. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. believe how well he he kept up and stayed with people. And and just looping back because we were talking about Bobby Portis, looping back very briefly to Bud. Like, just I, I want to give the guy some kudos. I I know things are annoying, have been annoying about him. I know people have been frustrated, <laughs> but like, dude, just won us an NBA championship. Not many coaches can say that. Besides the one back in '71, I'm blanking on his name now. But like, I, I still think the biggest thing him being like, okay, Brooke Lopez is my guy, and then saying, all right. I think we're going to run with Bobby Portis here, who I cannot trust for three straight games of the most important series of of our of our of my entire career, where I'm playing for my job. I am playing for my job against the Brooklyn Nets. If I lose this series, I will not be able to coach the Milwaukee Bucks anymore. I will be coaching the Indiana Pacers and making a shit ton of money. And he says, <laughs> "I'm not playing Bobby Portis for three straight games." And then in the NBA Finals closeout game, he says. I'm playing Bobby Portis almost as much as a guy who I trust almost more than anyone in Brooke Lopez. 
that is a, a really impressive adjustment. He clearly from in the in game one was like I over adjusted. I felt too good about what we were doing in the Atlanta series, and he made the proper moves to be able to trust that the math is going to work out. And then finally, Kyle, we got a bad Devin Booker game. Eight of twenty-two, zero of seven from three. And after all of these games where he shoots it, at, who shoots the lights out, we get we get a bad Devin Booker game. Besides game one, I don't think Phoenix had a good Devin Booker and Chris Paul game. It was either one or the other. Games two, I don't remember of game two. Game two, I feel like no one, everyone's just okay. But game three, Devin Booker having a bad game. Game four, Devin Booker has a great game, but Chris Paul has a bad game. Same with game five. Game six, Chris Paul was that guy. And honestly, that, I think it was a lot of what Bud decided of, Drew Holiday's just going to guard Chris Paul after game one. And we're just going to roll with that. And then Devin Booker was doing well. And then Bud was like, Drew Holiday's going to guard Devin Booker. And Chris Paul's going to get his shots. And we're okay with that. So, look, we all had at one point considered maybe Bud isn't the coach that can get Milwaukee to this title. Everyone had that thought at some point, some louder than others. But what he has done adjustment-wise cannot be understated that he, I don't know what clicked. He stopped going with the seven. He went with a seven-man rotation, and even then it was more or less. It was a yeah, seven-rotation. Obviously, he had some Jeff Teague minutes. You have to do that because Drew Holiday needs a breather. It is what it is. But the fact, like, not playing Bryn Forbes, it reminded me of 2019 when he just immediately just stopped playing Miritich. Like, at some point, he was like, I can't continue to play this guy, and I'm going to roll with it. And he's trusting other guys. You know, he could have gone with the zone drop with Brooke Lopez and go with the starters and do what he needs to. He could have maybe had Pat Connaughton be, you know, a small ball three or four and go with that. But he went with what he knew was going to be best for the team, and it worked out for him. And he is an NBA champion head coach. And you know what? That's He's going to have that forever. And... That is something that I think for him, it's good with all the adjustments he made, with all the shit that he got in the past couple of years. It, it, it's just good for Bud, good for Chris. It's just good for a lot of these times. Um, it, It's just good for a lot of these guys that had to face all these questions about can they ever do it? And now they've done it. But yeah, Bud, kudos to him. Like I said, the fact that he recognized some of the things that needed to be done and the timeouts yeah he was doing the timeout game perfectly and even when phoenix was going to runs, he would stop it even when he had to use it or lose it he'd use it like it is very impressive how boonholder's game management was so good not only in this series but also in the atlanta series as well it's it's just good i i can't speak more about boonholder there are still flaws. Like, there's a lot of flaws, but you know what? You won a title, so I am not going to slander you for the next year. I promise that. It can be so tough with these coaches because, and any of the players, really, unless you're like a Giannis who wears his heart on the sleeve just like out of principle, it can be hard to really break through and be like, oh, you know, I, I feel attached to these guys. Bud is a master of the coach speak in like press conferences. It doesn't matter. Mid game, they're like, uh, coach, what do you need from Chris <laughs> oh and Drew? God. Uh, we just need some winning plays, uh, you know, just keep moving the ball. It was like, you know, the most important 
12 minutes of your career right here. Uh, but in in the aftermath, during, after the trophy ceremony, they did like the mic'd up with Mike Budenholzer. I mean, such genuine emotion, feeling that he has for these guys that, you know, it, it, yeah, I'm getting like goosebumps right now thinking about it. Uh, it, it can be difficult for us as fans outside. And it, that doesn't mean that these, to like assess these guys. And that doesn't mean that they're totally above criticism. But I think that was really heartening to see him be able to let go because I think there's a lot, he's had so much pressure. Think about it. You're, you're a coach who comes in with a team that is essentially built with expectations of it's championship or nothing. And you have to win to keep our superstar here, or we are boned seven ways to Sunday. And he came through and the team trusted in him to come through it felt a little shaky, like in the last off season, is this going to be the guy they trusted him and it pays off. So I think like I said, kudos to him. Uh, he earned it, man. It's there's no, there's no doubt about it. it. He was impressive in staying. Not only the team was disciplined, but Mike Boonholzer was disciplined. How many times in the past would we have seen like a Kevin Durant esque or a Trey Young esque or a Devin Booker esque or a Chris Paul esque guy go off against our defense and all of a sudden we're starting to scramble or like adjust overreact too much. He said, Hey man, if Kevin Durant is going to score 50 on us, everybody else, everybody else on the team for the nets that he, they can only score like 25 and we're going to be okay. It ha- it happened in Toronto. It happened against Toronto. Kawhi, Kawhi yeah. was incredible, but it was all those other players who made them, made them pay. Correct. And in this time around, I think the principles, the defensive principles, I mean, up until the final minute or two where Phoenix was just chucking threes to get back into it, Phoenix had to have had maybe 15 threes, if that. I mean, it was, if we are going to force you to have your guy or two take all the shots and nobody else is touching the ball. The defense was just, I think it's going to, like, the excellence of the defense to run guys off the line. There were a couple, like, offensive rebounds and stuff but for the most part <laughs> the effort dudes were putting out there to cover a jay crowder to cover a mccall bridges to cover a camp johnson almost none of the Suns had really open shots unless it was a busted play and that is such a credit to the coaching staff that is a credit to the players for executing on it and uh it, again it all reflects back on bud who he's the guy who's designing it he's the one telling these guys here's what you have to do and so far as we know he he knew exactly what to do. He said all the right things to get us here. I mean, this was the issue for years, right? Is that Milwaukee would give up too many three-pointers. And if you, I'm just looking at cleaning the glass right now. During the regular season, they allowed like 38.9% of opponent three-point attempts to come from the three-point line. During this series, I'm not sure if this incorporates the last game, but Phoenix took 31% of their attempts from the three-point line. We saw them all steadily decline over and over and over. That was the huge worry for years and years and years. And, and they shot the lights out. I mean, if you look at their effective field goal percentage, 56%. Like, pe- people will look back on this series, and obviously tonight they had you know one of their worst nights in terms of 6 of 25 from 3 and and – 44.2% overall, but like people will look back on this series and say, how did they lose? Like the, the, the sun shot the lights out of the ball and somehow the Milwaukee Bucks were able to just create so many marginal advantages in terms of offensive rebound, which is never something Bud's teams have done before. And it won them, won them so many games throughout the playoffs. 
they didn't turn the ball over tonight. They did turn the ball over a lot, but I mean, all of that, them being able to fashion some of these marginal edges were in the past. They, it's not their, it's not their forte. And they, and they were able to create some impressive advantages in the playoffs that were able to, to, to lend themselves to this run. You know why Phoenix lost this series? Because Phoenix is a fucking gimmick. What do you got? What do you do? You have two players, brother. And if you aren't getting shots from them, you ain't getting shit on us. I am so disappointed that we dropped those first two games to the Phoenix Suns. Because what I saw in games three through six, I was not impressed. Devin Booker can shoot his ass off, but that is all they had. And if that is all you have, you ain't working with a whole bunch. It is impressive to see both him and Chris Paul make so many garbage jumpers. I mean, I ripped my hair out with the garbage jumpers that were going in. I could not believe it. But what have we seen? Series after series after series. If you try to beat us with garbage jumpers, the magic is going to end eventually. And if you come at us with a gimmick offense, and what Phoenix had after games one and two was a gimmick offense, we are going to beat that ass eventually. And that's what we did. Giannis led the way, the rest of the team, game five, Drew steps up big time. Game three, Chris, or was it game three, game four? Game four, was it Chris, the Chris game? Chris four, Chris, or God damn it, I'm getting all heated now. Game <laughs> four, Chris steps up. Holistic performances. Pat Connaughton, excellent throughout. We do not have a gimmick team. Some could say, oh, well, Giannis just goes and charges guys. Hey, man, it's not our fault you can't stop that. It's not our fault we can stop your gimmick and you can't stop ours. D up, brother. Go in the weight room. Get out of here. Stop talking about the fouls, the three, the free throws, whatever. I'm so disappointed in the Suns. And I, it would have been not robbery, but I would have been extremely disappointed in us to lose to a team that is essentially two guard gimmicks. All it is is just grifting. It's the ugliest. It, again, how many times have we come up and against an opponent in this playoff run that is just the worst part about basketball? Devin Booker is an impressive shot maker. He is a disgrace when it comes to trying to grift fouls. The number of times that he threw his arm out into guys tonight to try and get a foul against them, and then to the audacity to constantly complain. The universe rewards the righteous. And in this final series, the Bucks were the righteous team. And it is so satisfying that it worked out that way. I, I promised myself tonight was going to be for love. Tomorrow was for hate. What time is it? Is it midnight? Today's tomorrow. Today <laughs> is time for hate. I'm done trying to play respectful. I got no respect for the Suns whatsoever. None whatsoever. Get out of here. You lost. Stop talking about it. I mean... It's funny because Kyle. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, are we on to this section of the podcast yeah. now? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Yeah, no, we should we should do more love. I just I, I just a little more love yeah. for the Bucks, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but what I will say is the fact that Milwaukee they took Phoenix's best punches so many times and other than game two, they walked away victorious. Like game two was the one game where Phoenix just kept punch they punched them in the face with all like shooting twenty and forty from three. And that's okay because you go into game three, you get into a run, Phoenix trims the lead down, you take their punch, you fire back, you get up 20. Game four, Phoenix is up, you know, nine points. You take their punch, you fire one back, you win the game. Game five, you go down 16 or something after the first quarter. And then you come back and you take the lead at halftime. You take a couple more punches, but you go in and you win. And game six was the same way. You start off well in the first quarter. Second quarter comes around, you get punched, 
you come back in the third quarter and you win the game. And Milwaukee just constantly took Phoenix's punches and won the game. And part of that is because they forced Phoenix into forcing Hero Ball. They took away the three-pointer. They did not let nothing. Jay Crowder still had a couple of looks that I didn't feel great when they were going up. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but you know what? A good chunk of them didn't go in. They stopped McCall Bridges and Cam Johnson from getting the three-point looks. They made sure Cam Payne, if you Cameron Payne, if he's going to get baskets, he's going to have to earn those baskets. They made sure that, that what happened in game two was not going to happen again. They're not going to allow 43s, and if they are, they're going to be tough looks, and they did that for four straight games. And, you know, all the, like game five, they Phoenix shot 19 threes and made 13 of them. That's okay because Phoenix still took a bunch of more mid-range shots, and that is something that a lot of it was personnel. Obviously, yeah, maybe Dario Sarge getting hurt makes a difference. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Like, they're still playing Frank freaking Kaminsky, who for once actually was useful in the NBA. Good on him. Why didn't you do that against Duke in 2015, you bastard? We'll come back to that maybe a different day. But they, DeAndre Ayton was gassed. They went at Phoenix. They took their punches, and they fired a punch back. You want to talk about love? Let's let's talk some love on Chris Middleton. This guy has been slandered from high, from low, <laughs> from idiots, from smart people. <laughs> It doesn't matter who it was. Everybody has slandered Chris at some point. Or the, much like Kyle was saying, everybody's had the thought that maybe Mike Boozenholz and the guy. Everybody in their darkest moment has said, maybe Chris is in the second guy. Might that not even play- been the darkest moment. It might, it might have been like a bright moment <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, games coming down, it's like a four-point game. Chris, he the the position or possession before, he just throws it out of bounds. He looks gassed. These psychos... They run a play that is essentially Chris doing a running as far away as you could be with to still be within the two-point line or within two-point territory. And he does a fading running jumper and makes it to essentially be the game winner. That was the Chris play. You have to be a psycho to one call that play. So credit to I don't know who initiated it, Drew or somebody else. Two to take that shot and make it. Chris Middleton. You ascended to the mountaintop. I, (laughs) it's, it's, this title is satisfying for so many reasons. It's so satisfying that this guy who (laughs) sometimes rightfully, sometimes wrongfully was slandered from high to low came through. He came through in game four. He came through tonight when we needed a tough shot, when we needed to spell Giannis for a possession and Chris in years past, he would shy away from it. We wouldn't call his number at all in this one. He stepped up. We needed somebody to hit a shot. Every basket was going to be tough. We needed every point, and he had two more of them. Huge. Huge from Chris Middleton. What a series. What a playoff run for you, guy. An, an incredible playoff run for him. I, actually, a very solid playoff run for Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. I, we can't yeah. say it's there have been There have been highs and lows. Everybody yeah, gets been... to be incredible. You win a title, everybody's incredible. Exactly, exactly. Um, but, I mean, th- this is what we saw. All season, this is I, I wrote about this before game six. Like what he does, what he is made for, his blueprint for this particular team is to slot in as the guy who's going to be able to make tough shots late. Because that's not necessarily Giannis's forte. And obviously he made huge shots all night, made some huge shots late as well. But Chris Middleton coming through 
with that dribble handoff from Giannis, the audacity of him to just shoot it right up in, I think it was Mikel Bridges' face as as he's like, or Booker trying to hold his hands to his side and, and put the Bucks up. I mean, you can't say enough about the guy. I mean, he, he was in foul trouble all night, for at least for the first half. Had a lot of issues getting going. It's only six of thirteen from the for the for the whole for the whole game. He has seventeen points, five rebounds, five assists, four steals. So what you can see in there is that very clearly, even when he is this game, this game he was not having the scoring impact he had the last three games. So when he's not having that impact, he's still able to find a couple other ways to at least find a way to leave his imprint on the game. And I mean. Kudos to him. Like, Kyle, Chris Middleton obviously had his ups and downs, but the Bucks needed him to come through, and he came through with some tough shots late, and now they're NBA champions. So I kept saying throughout this game, Chris Middleton's going to go on a run. Chris Middleton's going to do his normal thing where he comes out of nowhere and hits you know, a bunch of shots and scores, suddenly scores like 20 points. And while it wasn't a 20-point performance, he came in and he hit the shots that Milwaukee absolutely needed, including, in my opinion, the game that really sealed it for the Bucs. This is why he gets paid so much money. You need to come in here and take these shots. You need to be over here and take the moment at the scruff of its foot because otherwise that's what's going to happen. And if it doesn't, then you just got to go in he hit the shots that he needed to, and this he's been doing that time and time again this series, time and time again this playoff, time and time again this regular season. And yeah, whatever, he's some people are dumb and say he's Batman and Robin. I don't give a shit about that. He came in and did what he needed to, even even the people that have criticized him the most. And yes, he will struggle at times, but you know what? He's got to keep shooting, and that's what we appreciate more than anything else. So I'm just happy that he was able to go in and he got the shots. Again, he, some, same with Giannis. Like, he was there when the Bucks were absolute garbage. They won 15 games in the regular season, and now they come back, and they won 16 games in a postseason. It, it's weird that Giannis and Chris went from 15 games in a regular season out of 82 games, and all of a sudden they go, and it's like, yeah, we're just going to win 16 games in an a eight-and-a-half-week span. Yeah, Chris rocks. Uh, I, I'm really happy. I, I, I'm really happy for him. I, it just, you know, it's just a really strange, really strange, difficult path we've been on to get this point. And uh, another guy, I don't know, any other Chris love or should we move on out of the Bucks? I mean, Chris, you know, is part of the totality, I guess. I'm just happy for him. Yeah, yeah I, I, I am too. Yeah. Just, he, just the him. And, I think he proved that he could be a number two on a championship team. Chris Middleton just yeah. proved that. Yeah, and the him and Giannis connection—it's been—it's been written about, talked about ad nauseum. But that—that uh, that was the one moment when I when I teared up during this it was just those two talking, and that relationship seems really special. And that was just awesome to see those two to come together. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when Giannis looked over and he was like, "Chris, we did it," and then Chris had that huge smile on his face. Chris doesn't do a whole bunch of smiling. It, it was, you know, that's that's what the whole presentation. That's what everything's all about. Is that kind of moment? Um, Drew Holiday, a Drew Holiday kind believe. of game. This dude, this dude <laughs> swindled us. He swindled us in the first half. <laughs> Reckless Wait, trade, absolutely reckless trade. Why do we give him all that for him? Reckless, 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 most reckless trade in the history of the NBA. 
because I'm like essentially I'm whatever a casual NBA fan is, I'm like a half step past that. So I can understand that there is value to playing defense. But when he was going one of 11 from the floor, I was like, not this, <laughs> not again. I'm not asking this guy to score every single basket, but something a little bit more than one of 11. But <laughs> uh, much like everybody else on the team, you can't discount how valuable this guy is. If he's not here, uh, I have no idea where we are because he unlocks the switching defense he is a floor general in the truest sense of the word. The passing was crisp. Well, not crisp all night because there was quite a few turnovers. But when he was on, it was crisp. He was finding guys in the absolute right position. He, he was, you know, a great defense, stripping Booker a couple of times, getting in his head. Uh, yeah, it was a true. You're right, Adam. It was like the prototypical Drew Holiday game. It was the no, 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 yes, at the very end, which is I honestly matters. said when Drew Holiday shot that 3D made, I was like, no, oh, okay. Like I mm-hmm. said those exact same things. But for his offensive struggles, he was so vital defensively. Like he had such a tough assignment and he passed with flying colors. Like that's as much as we would have liked him to have a better offensive performance. His defensive performance throughout the whole postseason was to the level that everyone said he was. Like everyone kept saying he is a fantastic defender. And he showed that round after round after round. He really is a fantastic defender. That's why he's all defense. You know what? Yeah, he missed layups, he missed shots. But he hit a three when he hit a couple threes when he needed to. He when he needed to make the basket, he made the basket. I if Drew Holiday was there. In 2019, Milwaukee would have steamrolled, steamrolled the league. It's ridiculous how good he is on defense and how assured he is on offense. And that, man, John Horse, I, I, if John Horse doesn't have a big I told you so during the parade, I then what are we doing here? Look, we, we all know what his shooting splits were. And I'm I'm glad that that graphic went around and whatever. Like I'm glad people were able to like fucking rip on Drew or whatever that, that they wanted to do then. But guess what? Do you know what Drew averaged in the NBA Finals in terms of assists? I would have to guess it has to be like north of eight assists a game at minimum. He, yeah, I was gonna say like nine or ten. Nine point three assists per game. Do you know what Chris Paul okay. averaged? Oh, that bomb. Probably, probably six. Like four. Four. Oh, a little better than that. 8.2. Yeah. But oh, do you okay. know that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad. You, look, you guys are gearing us up for the bomb segment eventually. Uh-huh. Yeah, Drew yeah, Holiday, yeah. 4.3 assist to turnover ratio compared to a 2.34. Chris Paul, point God. You're not watching right now, but I'm doing strong quotation marks. So uh, this is what I'm saying. Eric Bledsoe was essentially like a zero. This is what we said the whole year. He was a complete zero. Drew Holiday showed up for one game in terms of shooting, which was vital. In terms of steals, 2.2 steals in the NBA Finals that he averaged throughout it? That's insane. That's an incredible number. And very clearly, if you look at the stats, like players, just look at it tonight. They stuck Drew Holiday on Devin Booker. And you know what they did for about the last several minutes of the first half when Cameron Payne was in the game? They didn't even run the offense through Devin Booker. They said, Cameron Payne, you're going to run the offense. And somehow that dude delivered. But like they decided 
we're not even going to let whoever Drew Holiday is guarding touch the ball because several times when they did, he just stole it right away from them. So the fact of the matter is the shooting splits will not look beautiful upon Drew Holiday in retrospect, but Guy was a playmaker to a degree which the Bucks have not had from a point guard for years. And Kyle, it, it made all the difference in this series. Who cares about his shooting splits when he's playing lockdown defense with the Bucks clutch a title? Like I, you're going to, if you ask me 20 years from now, oh, how did Drew Holiday shoot the balls? Like he probably was terrible, but remember when he got the steal at the end of game four? That was fun. Remember when he got the steal and threw the alley-oop with the most audacity and balls I've ever seen at the end of game five? That was awesome. Remember when he took the arguably the greatest point guard in NBA history and put him in jail? And then when he wasn't doing that, he took the Suns' second-best player and put him in jail as well? That's what we're going to remember is what, like I said, Drew Holiday offensively, not great, could have been much better. But if you're going to not be good on offense, you damn well better be good on defense. And God damn it, that guy, if I could give a defensive player of the year, I would still give it to Giannis, but Drew Holiday would be a very close second. To watch this guy progress from the first couple of games, it's like, okay, you're going to shut down Chris Paul. Credit to Mike Budenholzer for switching on to Devin Booker and saying, that's just your assignment, go for it. And then staying on top of being fluid enough to continue to move around on defense. And then you're totally right, Adam. The difference between him and Eric Bledsoe. With Eric Bledsoe, we had no choice but to be a battering ram offense that sometimes had Chris take tough shots. That was it. That was essentially what we did. And with Drew, we suddenly become an offense that will pull a defense apart and then hit you. That's what it's all about. Giannis is still out there. He's still a force in nature. But Drew's mere presence, the control, the patience with which he controls the ball and controls an offense and finds either his shot or other shots, it's it's such a categorically different offense. That we're, because Giannis is who he is, a lot of it looks somewhat similar because he's still doing Giannis things. But just the ability to get him into easier spots. Why does Giannis not have to, like, do charges and like throw out of things all the time because the defense isn't collapse in on him because your point guard is not a three point shot threat. And his main offensive thing is just charge in just like Giannis. Giannis no longer has to be the main playmaker. He can still play make. He can still draw the defense. Even tonight, they throw a double at Giannis. He finds somebody else. Perfect. But that's not his main role anymore because Drew is here. And to be fair, or, you know, to credit Drew, first half, Phoenix was blitzing him and uh, Chris, especially in the second quarter. Every time they got the ball, they were throwing two two defenders at them. They broke that in the second half. And part of that is because Giannis was so dominant. But part of it is you just, you get more under control and you're no longer going to be thrown off by the fact that they're blitzing you every single time. Because it worked. It worked for the second quarter. But after that, there was nothing else that Phoenix could really do. So, yes. Shooting splits were not great. I just, I do not still, I still don't think it's unreasonable for me to ask, can you just make the gimmies? Because there were, <laughs> there were a lot of gimmies. The tough, the tough, you know, step back, mid-rangers, okay, I'll let those go. The gimme layups, if I could just get the gimme layups. Beyond that, no other complaints. He was excellent. The defensive play where Devin Booker looked like he had a had a step on him and he somehow still predicted that he, was, he would he be doing right. He threw his hip into him. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah. It, 
one of the most incredible defensive plays I've seen in a while. And we won't. Have, the best part about this run for Drew is that we won't have to do this comparison anymore. But for years, I I, I definitely defended Eric Bledsoe as like a, an impactful defensive player. And I just watched an actual impactful defensive player for a full playoff run. And that is what it looks like. It, it, it was incredible what he was doing out there defensively. Eric Bledsoe is a good defender. Drew Holiday is a great defender. And that's the that's the level to it. Not that Eric Bledsoe was bad. It's just Drew is so much better. And that's okay. Going from good to great, that's what wins you titles. When you can go from being a good team to a great team. And the Milwaukee Bucks are a great team because they won the goddamn NBA Finals. And, and not, not only on defense, we went from having an okay point guard to having a good offensive point guard. I'm not sure if I would say uh, Drew is a great point guard because this doesn't fit the archetypes like other point guards do, but you get the upgrade on defense and you also get the upgrade on offense. That is what you trade the farm for. That is what you do. You trade everything for that. Let, let's talk the last thing on Bucks I want to talk about before we I let you guys kind of, you know, off the leash. Um, <laughs> let's 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 talk about a couple role players. Kyle, I'll let you start. Do you want to talk about PJ Tucker? Do you want to talk about Brooke Lopez? Or do you want to talk about Pat Connaughton first? I'll save Pat Connaughton for last because I probably owe him another apology. But let's talk about Brooke Lopez, who it's so weird because Milwaukee goes on this run when he's on the bench. But at the same time, Brooke Lopez was the first kind of key to this Bucks team being where it is right now. When he signs that cheap deal, the one-year prove-it deal, and he suddenly becomes a sharpshooting three, and we're thinking, all right, cool. And he gets his new contract, and it's kind of one of those where it's like, we understand why you have to give him that contract, but, oh, man, that could age very poorly really quickly. And at one point this season, it was looking like that. But time and time again, he was such a colossal figure, and it felt as though Brooke Lopez went back to being what made him so good in the first place. His defensive rim protection was always there. His three-point shooting, while he didn't take as many threes this year, it was still enough of a threat to open up the floor for the rest of the team. He was getting every time he does like a drive to the hoop and it looks like it's an absolute slow motion. I laugh and cackle every time because it's like, how, why does it look like he is moving at half the speed of everyone else? And he still makes it. And it, to me, that's kind of hilarious. Um, but I, I think Milwaukee's rebounding with Jason Kidd, it was absolutely awful. Milwaukee couldn't get a rebound to save its life. And you bring in Brooke Lopez. And there is multiple times in the first half where Phoenix misses a shot and Brooke Lopez is getting the rebound, or at the very least, he is tapping it to someone else. He, again, with him sitting on the bench, I think the fact that he's able to do that, like be okay with sitting on the bench and knowing as much as I would love to play, I understand why I'm not. I'm, I, I think there's something to that, the professionalism that he shows, and yet he still looks like this goofball. He still brings a lightheartedness. And like I said, he was kind of the first key and the first piece of, okay, we got Giannis and Chris. How are we going to build this team to where it is? And Brooke Lopez was that first one. So his rim protection was still vital. It, you know, sometimes 
the scheme doesn't work as well with him on the like with him on the floor. Sometimes he just has to sit on the bench. But there were so many times, especially in the Easter Conference Finals, where he was so dominant. And that slam that he had, that was awesome. Like I, I that was when I, I feel like that's one of the moments where this team's gonna win this game is Brooke Lopez getting that pass from Drew and just absolutely slamming it past DeAndre Ayton. And it, it is good to see for him as a player. He's oh, like I feel like he's kind of a if this was 15 years ago, he would absolutely dominate the NBA and the fact that he's still an impactful player now, it's kind of good to show like guys like that can still be useful in today's NBA. Yeah, so much of tonight's game, the minutes that he did play uh, when he was inside, the interior defense was excellent. We needed those six points from him, that run that he had in the third quarter. He gave it to us. It was just simply a choice of, hey, you're executing the zone drop as good as we could hope. But Chris Paul to DeAndre Aiden is such a good combination that no matter what we do, they're going to try and find a way to relatively easily score no matter what you do. Uh, so just... You know, it's just like Bobby in the Nets series. He just gets schemed off the floor. It's just not going to be, this is just not your series to play all these minutes. That doesn't matter. He he brought it in the minutes that he was out there. He brought it in a huge way. So it he would be the one guy, Kyle, that I would say would probably rival Bobby for the best free agent acquisition uh, because he, there was literally no reason why this guy should really trust the Bucks to be the gateway to the next step in his career. And he comes here and... It didn't work out the first two seasons, but he supercharged this offense in a big way. He was excellent from three that first year, and that zone drop, it gave people fits for a long time. It still gives people fits to a large extent. Um, so, yeah, it, it you know, all love to Brooke Lopez. I'm happy for him, too. Yeah, I, I, I mean, incredible by him. I mean, he was instrumental to the Bucks being able to win the first three rounds. I, I, the, the block in the Brooklyn series, I think, is a seminal moment in – Bucks history and now that they have won all of these specific moments we've seen along the way will be able to go down as iconic moments for all of the fan base which is incredible so kudos to Brooke Lopez's third quarter I thought it was huge in terms of providing a little bit of scoring punch PJ Tucker fascinating player 36 minutes we 36 minutes tonight six rebounds one assist one steal one turnover, two personal foul. Two personal fouls is a huge win for him. I, I mean, he usually loves to use this up. Zero points. When you look back on the P.J. Tucker acquisition, I mean, the most important thing about it is that it allowed the Bucks to have more versatility with lineups. And uh, uh, like we've said for a while, a lot of the stuff that he does is not going to show up on the box score. Like they don't, NBA.com slash stats does not keep track of calls that P.J. Tucker calls out defensively in terms of switches, right? They, they don't have vocal audio tracks out there that they're keeping track of. But regardless, Riley, that's what this guy, this guy was here for this playoff run. And if nothing else, as a culture guy, what an incredible shift from the guys we've got in the past. No shade at Marvin Williams, no shade, shade at Nikola Mirotic, but <laughs> kudos to PJ Tucker, who is now an NBA champion and, and, wanted to come here and clearly changed a little bit about you could feel his stamp on this team in a way that I don't think many midseason acquisitions you do. I was going to say he ain't no Marvin Williams respect to Marv, but there's levels to this <laughs> yes. shit. There's levels to the acquisition game. Uh, 
what can you say about this guy? When he knows he came here, he knew his lane, he knew his role, and he was like, I'm just going to execute that at a high level. I had zero clue if he had anything in the gas tank. I had none. And he goes out and does everything in his power to slow Kevin Durant down. Maybe just a little bit enough where Kevin Durant puts his big ass feet on the line and we survive that. He does everything in this series he can. Devin Booker is a much harder cover because he's a guard, he's crafty, he does a whole bunch of stuff. And yet PJ is out there working his ass off. yeah, he put it. He put a stamp on this team for sure. I have no idea what a like full season role for PJ Tucker <laughs> would look like at this point in his career, but there's like this adage in NBA circles, right? There are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. PJ Tucker seems to be a 16 game player still at this point in his career, and the switch to go to him into the starting lineup when Dante went down, uh, things could have gone sideways quick. Instead. He powered us through. He uh, he was excellent on defense, especially. Uh, some questionable moments on offense, but because he was asked to do so little, what are you going to do about that? I really, I can't be mad at any sort of basket you get from him. Is like, that's gravy over the top. He was, it's a fun, there's not a lot of guys who are all defense still in the league. He's one of the few ones and he executed it perfectly. Yeah, it's the mentality that he brought, I think was the biggest thing out of anything. He was this guy that was like, all right, I'm not here to F around. I'm here to win. And this team, I'm picking this team because I think we can win. And he comes in and he sees Giannis and he sees Chris and he sees Drew and he sees Bobby. And he's thinking, okay, these guys get it. And when his offensive role, like they didn't bring him in for offense. Like, yes, if you can hit some corner threes, awesome, but we need you to be here for our defense. And he brought a toughness. He had to be tasked with the pain in the ass. Like, you got to go and guard Kevin Durant for seven games. That's tough. You got to go and guard Devin Booker and Chris Paul. That is tough. Like, there's a reason why when Houston decided we're going to do small ball with him as the center, they knew they could trust with it, and he just came out. And I don't know. Yeah, he's definitely not an 82-game player. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee brings him back. Maybe he'll come in every once in a while. But, like, I don't expect him to play much in the regular season because you have a guy like P.J. Tucker for the playoffs. He is that guy. He has been that guy. And the fact that he went and eliminated a bunch of his old teammates as well, he goes, eliminates Trevor Ariza. He then eliminates the bum that is James Harden. He then goes and eliminates Clint Capella. Now he goes and eliminates Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Like he went through his old team. It's like, I'm just going to knock you all out and win this ring. And he does that. And yeah, again, I cannot speak highly of what John Horse did in the past year with this team. And PJ Tucker is another example of John Horse working absolute magic. You want to talk about a guy who had a fucking grind to get to this point in his career. This dude was in Ukraine in the middle of fucking January in Kiev. I don't know, looking for the Gucci store in Kiev. He ground his way to where he is today. Respect to you, PJ. You brought the culture. You brought all that grit. Somebody was like, oh, are like the Bucks like the the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, sort of. I mean, like by a million times percent more in terms of just like <laughs> the culture, not backing down, all that sort of shit. 
Uh, PJ Tucker is a big reason why, if we have anything like that, he's, he's the, I wouldn't say spiritual heart of the team, but he's pretty close to being that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last, last Bucks player we need to talk about before, cause I know it's late, but then we're going to shift over to the pettiness. I was staving it to the end to give you guys some energy, <laughs> energy at the end to keep you up. But we need to talk about Pat Connaughton. He shoots 44.1% in the NBA finals on 5.7 attempts from three per game. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> has a that's that's from that's with an 0 of 4 performance tonight where he was minus 21. By far his worst performance of the finals so far. And yet he was so incredible as a role player who averaged 30 minutes per game kyle the floor is yours i apologize to john horse for giving pat Connaughton his contract i apologize to pat Connaughton because i didn't know you had this in you i figured you are a good role player for a regular season team you are good when we are playing the scrubs in the playoffs you come in and do this in the NBA Finals, and yes, your game six was not good. You were doing too much. You started feeling yourself a lot, but God damn it, you still got an offensive rebound near the end of the game. That was huge. You were hitting the shots like when no one else on Milwaukee was hitting shots. Pat Connaughton was there when no one like when you needed a scrappy offensive rebound. Pat Connaughton was there. Dante would be proud of him. It is shocking how good. This guy was, and then the role that he came in, he came up like every, we were asking, maybe we should start Pat Connaughton in a couple games, not in this series and Eastern Conference Finals. Like we lost Dante, maybe put in Pat, and you just come in and he played his role so well. And like when you're thinking of like dudes that need like role playing guys off the bench that you need to win, we're gonna look at Pat Connaughton and be like, oh, this guy did it. And it is shocking because out of all the players in Milwaukee that they added and and slash or brought back, I didn't think Pat Connaughton having this much of a positive impact in the NBA Finals is going to be that. Like when Bryn Forbes came in and you had Dante and you're thinking maybe Pat's going to lose some minutes. With Drew Holiday as well, like maybe Pat's not going to get as many minutes. And yet he comes in. Granted, part of that is because of Dante injury, but he comes in 30 minutes a game shooting 44% like where was like this is so shocking and I think the biggest surprise of all this is he stayed in his lane the majority of the time he didn't try and do anything extra he didn't try and do anything special he just did what he needed to do you catch and shoot and you get some rebounds and you defend to the best of your ability obviously when you're guarding dudes that are taller than you they're going to get shots over you that's fine but he just went in and he just did his role. And I think that's kind of the biggest part is he played so well within his role and he didn't have to do anything more. Giannis was the finals MVP, but Pat Connaughton was the finals MVR, most valuable realtor. This guy is out here. Oh my God. <laughs> slinging apartment complexes on the weekends and scoring buckets in the finals on his work nights. Uh, yeah, I the thing the thing with Pat Connaughton these past couple of years was he was part of our whole long list of dudes because our offense was five out, Giannis go in, everybody else just pray to God he can make it three. He kind of fell in with everybody else of like, oh, 
he tries hard, but he does the flyby defense, and he's not like a great stay in front of his guy defender, and he's a streaky three-point shooter. You know who else was a streaky three-point shooter? Literally everybody else on the roster, essentially off the bench. That was he just happened to be one of the guys. And so I, we can't undersell how impressive it is that a guy who is a reputation as a streaky three-point shooter comes out, like Kyle said, plays his role, plays in his lane, and makes a crazy amount of threes. He was like the guy, he was pulling the trigger immediately. He gets a semi-open three-point shot, he's pulling the trigger. Game five, he does that ball fake in the second quarter, that pass fake, and then drains the three. I mean, come on, man. You literally, you can't draw it up any better than what he did. So yes, we all owe Pat Connaughton an apology. Um, He, what did we say? He was the stopgap off the bench. Uh, There were times where we would try, oh, maybe Bryn Forbes, maybe he has it. When Bryn Forbes got neutralized, Pat was it in terms of like guard slash wing-ish depth. And he was enough. He was enough. And had you told me prior to the season that Pat Connaughton is going to be enough, I would be like, you, sir, are on so many drugs right now. (laughs) And instead... Turns out I was the one who was uh, in La La Land because Pat proved us wrong. So good on you, Pat. You deserve this one. All right. Well, and Pat was a huge stopgap given the Bucks were literally without one of their core starters this entire playoffs. And before we get into that, I want to take a real quick ad break so then we can shift into our different portion of the podcast where we can get a little petty in and then we can also look back on the run as a whole. So stay tuned. All right. We're back. I mean, you you guys, we, we've all we've been extolling the virtues of the Milwaukee Bucks for a while, but but you two are like two of the finest petty artists I have ever met. I, I would like to just open up the floor because I am quite awful at being petty. So I, I would like to just open it up to Kyle. I think first of all, who, as I'm saying this, is literally downing his his bush light. So yeah. kudos to you, Kyle. Clear the floor. Clear the floor. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> Toronto. <laughs> We're throwing it back. We are throwing it back to when we first started. Suck it, Toronto. Oh, sorry. You're not the only one with the title anymore. I hope you're Jurassic Park and saw what happened in the Deer District and can get absolutely fucked. God, it is good. And the, I think the biggest thing with Toronto is they had been chatting so much shit out of nowhere like anytime the bucks did something they had to inject themselves in the conversation it felt like toronto was just like the annoying kid who got like one happy day for their life and they had to constantly remind you like they, the conversation wouldn't even be about them and they had to interject be like oh we won the title in 2019 well i don't give a shit about your title in 2019 that's the past we're in 2021 the bucks are the champions so to toronto i hope you are miserable i hope you are down bad at the moment because now the one thing that you could try and hold over milwaukee you can't anymore we now have a title with a superstar that you were thirsty over you wanted this man so bad you were trying so hard and guess what he decided to say i don't want to be in toronto with these bums i don't want to be with kyle lowry's flopping ass i don't want to be with pascal siakam who for two weeks was a great player and then all of a sudden became a bum no, I'm going to stay here in Milwaukee. I'm going to win this title. I'm going to do this. And now he did. And guess what, Toronto? You're not special anymore. We don't give a shit about you. You can't say shit to us. So I hope you take your Tim Hortons, you take your little poutine, 
and you just shove it down your throat each every day and you have to just sit and be sick because not only <laughs> did the bucks finally get their title but now your team is also ass and have been terrible this year i am so vindicated right now and i am not sorry at all <laughs> Riley, do you want to go ahead? Because I got other, I got other teams. I will say Philly. I'll uh, let you have Philly. I'll let you have Philly because you. No, it. I mean, I mean, honestly, the beauty of this is, if Adam gave us unlimited time and we had unlimited energy, I'd come for all twenty nine other teams. You're all <laughs> losers, all of you, every single one of you, everyone who has won a title in these past couple of years. So the Raptors won. We're coming for Masai Ujiri. He's going to come be our like water boy or something because he wants to team up with Giannis and Giannis ain't coming to Toronto. So you better get ready to lose him to come be John Horse's assistant or something. Uh, all these teams talk so much shit on Milwaukee about it being a small market, about it being a, a, built around a guy who has no bag, about it, it being uh, a team with no second banana, all these sorts of things. How satisfying is it that we come out of here organically built? There's there is nothing inorganic about it. The only thing it'd be like Drew you threw in there, but we ground through the BS before Drew got here, and we got to the fucking mountaintop. Every team who comes at us and says, "Oh yeah, but what about the Nets?" Hey brother, it's not my fault. Kyrie doesn't have actual ankles and James Harden, you know, doesn't have hamstrings. I'm not going to get blamed for that. That's not my problem. That's your trainer's problems. Uh, It's not my problem that Atlanta goes out there and whips the Sixers who are officially the saddest team in the NBA. You want to talk about a disaster of a team. What Philly thinks they are. That's what we actually are. The dream, the fever dream that Sixers fans have had for years about, oh, just wait until Joel and Ben, they're going to put it together this year. And then Joel shows up 150 pounds overweight and Ben Simmons doesn't want to touch the ball. You have to bow to us because we're what you want to be. And they can be jelly about it. They can act like they don't care. They can act, oh, so happy for Milwaukee. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear any other team congratulate us. I don't want to hear any media member congratulate us. You can all go shove it because none of you believed. None of you believed. I'm trying to think of one person who believed. Did anybody? Who? Nobody. Nobody ever I, I would say maybe Nick Wright is the closest I can think of, but that's it. If some, if any of these people come out Charles on this Barkley. program. Charles Barkley. Charles, Charles Barkley. He guaranteed us a four. Charles Barkley is, yes. And he is always up Milwaukee as a city as well. Massive respect to you, Charles. I, I apologize. <laughs> I forgot about you. Everybody else, if they try to come onto these programs tomorrow, today, whenever this comes out, and they say, oh, this is really good for the league, good for you, Milwaukee. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them. Fuck you. What are you talking about? The slander this city got, this franchise got, our franchise player got is unacceptable for this league. It's There's so many problems with this league. There's so many issues with the coverage of it, all these different things. Milwaukee beat all that. The obstacles they had to get past, they beat all of it. And they're not going to get the proper due from anybody, but I don't give a shit. Whatever. We won the title. I can never lose a debate on the internet ever again. That's what this means. Anybody ever tries to talk to me about nothing, I'm immediately pulling out this card. This is the trap card. You come at me, I'm activating the trap card on you. So they need to watch out for that, and they need to watch their mouths because I'm not taking any of it. 
You know who also needs to watch your mouth? Boston Celtics fans. If Philly is one on the sad franchise ranking, Boston is number two because all we've heard is, oh, Boston is this wonderful franchise. They're, they're the classic model. They won all these titles. Yeah, great. I would win a bunch of titles too if black people weren't allowed to play back in the day. Like, you're not special. <laughs> like, what have you done the last, like, what, 30 years? You have one title. You have the same amount of titles the last 30 years as the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks are ass. Ass for the majority of this time. You have been saying we're going to be the team after LeBron leaves. We have this young core of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. We had Kyrie. We had Gordon. No, you didn't win shit. You haven't even made the finals. Like, come on now. Like, Philly is just a self-depreciating bum area. Boston is a self-depreciating racist bum area so the fact that you only have one time in the last 30 years and you're supposed to be this great franchise i don't want to hear it from you you're no better than the toronto raptors mm-hmm. like what do you what do you have all you have is a brand and your brand sucks your coach sucked and that's why he had to become the bas- president of basketball operations who also sucked with all of his assets and yet this is what you have to show for it to get to be at what the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference after all of that, all that work, you swindled the Nets, and the Nets ended up being better than you. That is embarrassing. If I was a Boston Celtics fan, I'd be embarrassed because you were supposed to be this Eastern Conference power, and you have yet to even make the finals. And let's talk about James Harden. I am so glad that he has to sit here. And watch a dude that he said, all I can do is run and dunk. Not only did he do that, but he showed skill. He's averaged 32 points a game. He had 50. He didn't choke. He did not choke in the playoffs. James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. And you know what he decided to do? He decided to go to a strip club to try and drown his sorrows. And when he came back to camp out of shape, he wanted to trade. He ruined the Houston Rockets. And you know, to the fans that still stand by him, you're also bums. You, how do you look at this man who can't do anything? And the one time he did make the finals, he sucked. And here he is now watching Giannis, the guy that he hates the most, win a title and a finals MVP. And when James Harden has to sit there and wonder, what am I going to do to beat this man? You can't. You never will be able to. Because even if you do win a title with Brooklyn, it's not because of you. It's because of Kevin Durant. You will always be known as a dude that had a lot of offensive talent, but could never do it when the team needed you most. And I'm glad that you are miserable. I'm glad Blake Griffin is miserable. I'm glad Philly is miserable. It is great to see all of these dudes that don't like Giannis have to sit here and acknowledge that this guy is the king of the NBA right now. Oh, also, Boston, you pass on Giannis to take fucking Kelly Olenek. Bum. Bum, bum, bum decisions. And I'm done for now. I only have one more little bit of petty and then we can talk about the playoff run as a whole and end on a high note. Um, Phoenix, you are not out of my sights, brothers. You are not whatsoever. The commentary from this team in the post-game aftermath of game three where Monty goes out there and he says, well, you know, I'm not going to complain about the referees. And then he complains about the referee. Chris Paul goes out there and he talks about, well, everybody's expecting Giannis to miss, even Giannis himself. The the two plays to close game five where Chris Paul rips Giannis's arm down on that shot attempt 
and then does that dirty ass shove when he's up for the alley-oop and you're going to come out here and act aggrieved. You know what, Chris Paul? I'm happy you're going to go home your entire career. It looks like at this point, your entire career, you're going to go home a loser. That's going to be what your legacy is going to be. Yes, you're one of the greatest point guards of all time. I'm not going to lie. They're impressive moments this series. But when your team needed you most, what did you do? You disappeared. You fell over. You gave the ball away. You couldn't defend for your life. You were just fouling out there, shoving other guys. You reverted to form in the worst way possible. Monty Williams, his story is amazing. Respect to that guy. Um, but you cannot come out here and say, I'm not going to get into the complaining thing and then immediately start complaining or talk about how, oh, well, the Bucks, their three-point shooting had the edge and your team actually shot better from three points uh, land. I, it's tough, I'm sure, as an opposing coach to see a guy like Devin Booker go off for like 40 and you know, 40 and two games straight and try to adjust to do something different. But Monty fell into the trap. He fell into the trap of, let's just see if this guy can hero ball us our way out. And it seemed like he might have had a little bit of a different plan in game six. And then the Bucks stamped it out. There was no second move. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, he was dominant game one and game two. He trailed off in a big way. And part of that is the Bucks, but part of that is Phoenix just went one way. They fit, they just they got stuck in a rut. Um, I... I impressive that Phoenix got to this point, but there's a lot about this run that feels a little gimmicky insofar as it was a lot of hot shooting. I mean, a lot of hot shooting and whether or not they ever come back to the mountaintop, I have no idea. Phoenix, I pray to God you pay Chris Paul 60 bajillion dollars so that he can sink your team for the next five years. Cause that feels like that's what you're going to do. And I hope you liked your taste in the mountaintop because you're probably not going to get it anytime soon. That was it. That was the flash. Uh, so good luck to you, but you're not as good as us. And that was proven out over six games. Those first two games we adjusted, Phoenix didn't. They really didn't. They said, hey, guy, go save us. And he didn't. He wasn't able to. And that's that. And that's that's the question you have to ask for the organization from top to bottom. If you get to this point, you don't have a second answer. What is going on with this team? And uh, I'm not sure if they're, of all teams, are going to be equipped. I mean, they put it together, so maybe they can work their way back out. But um, yeah, I'm going to be hounding them all off season two. But anyways, that's enough hate for this time. We got plenty, plenty of hate, a whole well, year, years of hate ahead of us. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Is it Adam's turn? Here we go. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I didn't to say anything yet. I, I don't want like, this is, uh, look. We've had to hear the bullshit nitpicking of our superstar over all of the others. We, we've had to hear everyone extol the virtues of all these other players because, because the few things that Giannis is not that great at stand out like a sore thumb. We're all annoyed at him too. I don't need to fucking hear it anymore from you, national media types. Do you know what he just did? He put up probably the greatest closeout game in NBA playoffs history. If you look at the NBA single game finals leaders for points, five, six players have 50 points ever. <clears throat> Bob Pettit in a closeout game in 1958 as part of the St. Louis Hawks. Credit to you, Bob Pettit. I honestly have no idea what you look like. I, I have no idea what the 58 season looked like. Whatever. <laughs> Ron James, in 2018, game one, J.R. Smith blew that game. 
that's not meaningful at all in the history of the league. Jerry West, 1969, game one, those those guys lost. Rick Barry, 55 in the finals. No one likes Rick Barry. He sucks. Michael Jordan <laughs> has 55 in game four. That might be a little, like, that's the only one that's even comparable. Elgin Baylor, credit to you. Rest in peace. I'm sorry you never won a championship. 61 points in a finals game is insane. But Giannis Antetokounmpo just put up one of the greatest, all of those games, none of those games were closer games, one of the greatest playoff games of all time. So we don't need to hear any more criticism of him ever for all of time. And I don't need to hear about how James Harden struggled coming back from NG. I don't care that you had a grade two hamstring strain. You know what Giannis had? A knee that looked like it should never walk again. And he came back and put together a finals that are unbelievable. Jake, okay, just one one or two more things. Jake Crowder, two of nine from three. Karma, bitch, in Kyle's words, okay? Mm -hmm. The Bucks run overall. I don't really need to hear that many complaints given that many people are saying Kevin Durant might be the best player in the league. And it's very hard to beat perhaps the best player in the league in Kevin Durant, even on a team full of stiffs. James Harden, also, one more thing, going back to you. Do you remember how your team, you apparently didn't have enough help or whatever for many years? Guess what? Giannis just won the closeout NBA Finals game, and his highest point-scoring teammate was 17 points. I mean, come on. We don't need to hear it anymore from you. Devin Booker, good work, buddy. You did okay. If we look at your overall series, you scored 28.2 points. On 45.5% shooting. Chris Middleton had 24 points on 44.8% shooting. He also had more rebounds, more assists, more steals, the equal amount of turnovers. So we don't need to hear about how awesome Devin Booker is after this series and not think that Chris Middleton isn't pretty close to the same level. They both made incredibly difficult shots. Chris Middleton is not getting open shots. So we don't need to hear too much about that and you don't need to read too much into it. Last thing. The quality of this NBA Finals was pretty dope. It was a pretty good NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. I'm an incredibly biased person. But guess what? We gave you two iconic plays. Two iconic plays that will live on in Finals history now that the Bucks won. So no need to apologize for any of that. That's all I have. Also, I have one last thing. What a terrible city Milwaukee was, huh? Milwaukee showed out. And like I said, I'm still very scared about the Delta variant running rampant <laughs> through the Deer District. I'm still scared about that. Don't get me wrong. Like, I will wake up tomorrow or today. when I, I'm going to wake up and be like, oh, yeah, that there's still a pandemic. But you know what? Milwaukee was deemed this terrible city. Milwaukee was a place that no one wanted to come to. And yet here Milwaukee was, 65,000 people watching this game. The arena was loud. You have Bucks fans everywhere. So the fact that Milwaukee can come out here and show we are not a terrible city. We have this beautiful stadium. We have this beautiful area. Damn it. We're going to show you that this place needs to be respected. And shout out to all of them and suck it to ESPN and suck it to Stephen A. Smith because we know what you said. And the fact that you were dodging it the first time to go to the bum-ass MMA fight. Yeah, we, we know how you felt. We heard the comments. And now, you know what? This terrible city is where the NBA champions are. I'm done being petty. I I don't need 
there's a lot of people who look at Bucks fans being sensitive about the media, be like, well, you you don't you don't want the media to love you. Who cares if players love Giannis? It's not about love, man. It's about respect. It's about respect for one, what this guy has put in. And all these players, they put in a lot of work. Let's let's not discount a lot of these guys, they sacrifice a lot to get to this level. Giannis sacrificed a lot to get to this level. He did a lot to get here. Put some respect on this guy's name. I don't need you to love him. I don't need you to be buddies, buddies with him. Hell, I I prefer it this way. Who cares? I like being the villain. If I have to be the villain, I want to be the villain. Uh, and then on top of that, put respect on Milwaukee too, man. When all these, whether it be media, whether it be other fans of other fan bases, um, I think it's so easy for these outsiders to get in this position where like, well, Milwaukee sucks. It's cold in the winter. Um, it's all these different things respect the city respect the fans that go out there and they give their hearts to this team man that's what it's all about i don't need you to love us i don't need you to love milwaukee i love milwaukee enough for the both of us all right i need you to respect the city i want you to respect the people of the city i want you to respect the players on part of that team i want you to respect Giannis and his story and what he did to get to this point i don't need you to stand out here and say he's the greatest of all time Maybe you'll be saying that by the end of his career, but right now I just need you to respect what he put in. That's what this whole playoff run is all about. And I am so pleased for him. I'm pleased for the city. I'm pleased for the fans that we got this capping moment to say, you, now we have proof that you have to respect us. We might not get it anymore than we did before, but we have the proof to say we did something that 29 other teams could not do. Absolutely. Let, let's take let's close it out by just looking at back at the playoff run as a whole, the best best run in, in playoff history for all of our lives, of course. Kyle, standout moments from you that you just want to reflect upon from throughout this entire run. Okay. I have three moments um, that really stand out to me. The first is winning game seven in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Did I think Milwaukee was going to win a title at that point? I was probably like 50-50, but it's just like you probably just went through the toughest game out of all the playoffs. This is probably the toughest game you'll have, and you survived. You It wasn't even like you want. You survived. You survived Kevin Durant. You survived the dumbass decision at the end of the the game where Brooke Lopez, for some reason, chucks up that bad shot. Either way, like that was the moment where it's like maybe this team can actually do it. Maybe there's something different about this team. So – that's probably one of the top moments. The other is game five of the Eastern Conference Finals. You lose Giannis. And while he didn't tear his ACL like we all feared, we you knew this was, you just lost that guy. And to come out in game five and not only win, but to blow the doors off the Hawks, and it was from right from the jump, there's something about that where past Milwaukee teams would have lost that game five. A team with Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton lose that game. They came out and they had probably one of the best performances in the whole postseason. There, there's something about it where I was just like, okay, you really did this, and that, and that to me was very impressive. And I think the last one was Game Five of this of the NBA Finals, where you get down early, you you're down by 16, you come back, you take the lead. And just how you end the game, you make the clutch plays. The, the steal and the oop are going to forever be enshrined. I think those are going to be the top three for me. Obviously, 
thrashing the Heat is fun. You know, going to game three. Uh, okay, game three, I will also put because I got to go to an NBA Finals game and I got to see a win. And I got to bring my kids. I got to bring my wife. I got to bring people that I have cared about more than anyone else to this thing that I love more than anything else. And they got, to, and while two of them, while the kids won't remember a damn thing about it, it is still a special moment for me to be able to experience that. So those are my top moments of this playoff run. I'm at this rate, I'm probably just going to stay up and watch Olympic soccer at this point. I don't know when I'm going to sleep, but this has been, this has made the slog of the regular season worth it to talk to you guys at the end of the night, the Bucks winning a championship. It makes all the regular season crap that we have to deal with worth it. Uh, I would say one of my moments was when we adjusted in game two to Duncan Robinson. We shut that shit down. That was really me. <laughs> that was really that was super meaningful to me to see us do that. I was that's when I knew we were going to win a title. Uh, game three against the Nets. It was the ugliest goddamn game you could ever imagine. But we got our breaks beaten off of us in game two, and I was like, "Holy shit, we're going to lose in four games." <laughs> And we had to go out there and we had to fight to stay alive. And they stayed alive. Uh, Game seven, obviously. Uh, Probably, I would, it's so tough with the finals. It's going to be hard looking back to say what was the most epic game, but that was pretty freaking I'm with you. I'm with you. That's my favorite game of the playoffs. It seems crazy. (laughs) It seemed like they kept reloading the chamber. It was like, one of these is going to kill us. One of these. And we survived that game. It's uh, hard hard to fathom it. God, I don't know. I mean, so many, so many great moments. It's going to take time to look back. Uh, game five of this series, game five and game six, obviously. Game five, to go out on the road. What a t- difficult thing to do, to go out on the road, uh, to steal that game in the most literal sense possible. Uh, big, and then, I don't know, man, it's just, this, it's just special. Watching Giannis when the game is finally secured, and I'm – like collapsing to my knees saying they're going to do it. They're going to win a title. And Giannis is out there. He's like huge grin on his face while the game is still going. And then he has to like tell PJ Tucker to go cover Devin Booker because there's still like 30 seconds left or whatever. But the, just the emotions of all of it. Uh, yeah, man, it's, it was <laughs> special. We're going to have a whole off season to like fathom all of it, to dive into it. Uh, but yeah. And to echo Kyle too. Uh, a pleasure to come on here with you guys every week. And then after tonight as well, after all this run, we've, we've seen a lot of BS in the past couple of years recording this podcast, covering everything at Brew Hoop. And I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't choose a better staff to work it with. Yeah. I think the, I think still up there for me is game one against Miami. I had so many nerves going into that game and there was, such an, <laughs> it was such an exhale just seeing that incredible Chris shot going out. It, it felt like, it felt like so many demons were exercised in that moment. And then obviously they had to deliver the rest of the way, but that, and that was really sweet. Um, I, I don't need to say anything more about game seven, just like a, one of the most incredible, probably the most incredible game I, I can recall in, in my books history. Um, the Atlanta series is, is interesting. That'll be an interesting one that we look back on in, in history, right? Like that, that one's going to be a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a, you know, footnote compared to the net series, obviously. Um, but, but, but was still, 
you know, I, I think if nothing else, what this taught us was like an incredible amount of resiliency for a team that never seemed like they had any of it, right? Going down 2-0 mm-hmm. to the Nets, going down 1-0 to the, um, to the Atlanta Hawks, going down 2-0 to the Phoenix Suns. I mean, the, just the, the sheer... The, the, the Giannis block is in game four is one of the most incredible plays I can ever remember seeing. The oop is the one that caused me the most audible, um, you know, verbal Tourette's and like the, it's just the, the, the narrative of this team going from 2019 where they lose four in a row, just four straight. And then all of a sudden we're in that same situation. We have a chance to close it out. It's game six. We look a little rough in the second quarter. All of a sudden the Suns have the lead and it's like, I, 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 it's just so stupid. Literally was just taking a whiz at halftime. And I was like, didn't the rat, the, God, the Bucks kind of had a lead in that, in that game six as well. And then the Raptors came back, but just, just the, the sheer fact to me, the thing that I will always remember about these playoffs is that Giannis was a player that I didn't think he was going to be, to be quite honest. I, I thought I didn't think he would be able to reach this level I didn't think he would be able to deliver on this level. And that will always be the indelible memory for me. And that is the best part about this series being capped by his 50-point performance is that it's the perfect period to his sentence that he put throughout this NBA, throughout these last like several rounds of the NBA playoffs where he said, I'm a player that can lead a team to an NBA title, period. They didn't make it easy, man. They made it as hard as possible as they could. They, they went down at every every single series bar the Miami series. You know what? They What did I say? They looked death in the eye so many times in this run, and every single time death blinked one last time. When it mattered most, death blinked one last time, and that's what matters most. I think we can officially retire, never trust the Bucks. I think we can officially mm-hmm. retire Bucks in six. And I think we can officially say the Milwaukee Bucks can get the job done. Kudos to the Milwaukee Bucks. What an incredible night. If it, thank you to everyone who has ever listened to us ramble on for years uh, on this podcast. Thank you to everyone who has gone to Brew Hoop. This is seriously one of the greatest moments for all Milwaukee Bucks fans, obviously. However you came into the fandom, this is a perfect moment for us all to come together. I'm not even going to ask you to share the podcast with your friends, but if you know a friend who is looking to get a little championship buzz, maybe just send them a little link or two. And then also we'll have tons of coverage on brewhoop.com. No idea what we're doing for the off season. I, I'm we're not way... doing a draft pod. We are absolutely fucking not doing that. <laughs> shit. We're, we're about to start the um, one through 31 fan rankings on the on the site i've been prepping that for a while no we're definitely not doing a draft i have no idea what the fuck we're going to be doing on this draft but but seriously thank you to everyone for listening enjoy the night enjoy everything even if, if you were anxious like me throughout this whole run hopefully you can enjoy the aftermath finally finally so thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it the milwaukee bucks are nba champions we'll talk to you again soon